Before we get started, a quick note. This podcast features explicit language and may not be suitable for younger listeners. And if you're just joining us, this is a continuing story, so please go back and listen to the previous episodes first. So here's the thing. We want to do stories that people want to learn about, and we want to get into those stories through people who have a passion and have spent some time researching or artistically, like in your case, actually working to make a film on it. Mitch Marcus is a field producer and director for reality television, with a long history of working in the paranormal and conspiracy subgenres. And you kind of become our way into a particular world. And we learned about you and your film about Polybius. Before this podcast became this podcast, co-producer Todd Luoto and I endeavored to make a documentary about Polybius. We scrounged together whatever savings we could bear to part with, hired a small but talented crew, and conducted several interviews in the Portland area. We cut together a trailer, pitched it to a couple producers, and even launched a Kickstarter campaign in an attempt to finance the project. Unfortunately, we were unsuccessful, which is why you're listening to it instead of watching it. You know, you guys were onto something that was really interesting that was both part legend, but it had as enough that uh, you have to wonder, like, could there be truth behind this? Or if there's not, if it's not really a government conspiracy, was it some sort of, you know, one of those urban legends that takes hold and really starts changing people? And then it also, you guys had tapped into this, this world in Portland. By the time Mitch reached out to Todd, our documentary was dead, but our trailer and Kickstarter had garnered a small amount of press, enough to pique the interest of Mitch and Kevin Tevalero, co-executive producer of The Unexplained, a new show on urban legends, conspiracies, and the paranormal for the History Channel. They asked Todd if we might be interested in participating in an episode. So you you have you you've actually done some interviews up in Portland, right? Right. We we were up there for uh, we we've gone up there a couple times and and as um right. uh, we're looking for somebody who is willing to be on camera, but really that you feel like they really did play the game, and you know it'd be great as if if there was somebody who can actually remember playing the game back in the 80s. Do you know anybody like that? And would you call them believable? Uh, I, we talked to a few people. Um, some are certainly more believable than, than others. Full disclosure, Todd and I disagreed about whether to participate in Mitch's project. He thought it would be good exposure, while I was concerned about the very question Mitch just asked. Not because I was worried about trying to justify Bobby to an outsider, but rather because Mitch might take too much of an interest in Bobby. I'm John Frechette. This is The Polybius Conspiracy, a production of Showcase from PRX's Radiotopia. Hey, guys. Um, you know, after some thought, I... I think I owe you an explanation about our meeting and, um, you know, I guess I didn't tell you everything. And I think that, um, you know, this is something that's probably been long overdue and give me a call back when you can. Thanks. So there was this mysterious message from Naomi Halbrook, the former journalist who wrote the piece on Coin Kingdom that featured a photo of Mark Sims. 
When Todd and I arrived back at home base, we returned her call, and after some probing, decided it was worth making a trip back out to Spokane the following day. But the bigger question was whether or not to inform Reuben and Bobby of this. As it turns out, they'd had their own private conversation. Here's Reuben. I know that, that it gets harder to tell the truth the longer that you've been telling a lie. Bobby had phoned Reuben to apologize for his behavior on the trip, and by Reuben's own admission, found a sympathetic ear. I can only imagine the prison that this guy's built for himself. If his whole identity is based upon some preposterous lie that you tell as a, a, a fucking teenager, right? <laughs> what kind of self-deluding crazy person is gonna stick with that story and isolate themselves the way that he has? If it wasn't true, is what I felt Reuben wanted to add, but didn't need to. The thing was, Bobby had argued to him, in a weird way, Naomi had validated his story. And you know, it gives me pause. He said, listen, that's confirmation. I mean, Naomi confirms that I, Bobby, have been telling the same story for some 34 years now. Yeah, and you would say that even knowing that Naomi said he was contradicting uh, himself in his stories, and, and Bobby even admitted to that. I think what, what he was desperate to, to have me believe was that there was some sort of constitutional truth to what he was saying, that, that there, there was something in his voice. I, I didn't hear a liar. You know, to, to put this as sensitively as possible, I think that one of the things that is a concern of ours is that you're in a very vulnerable state right now for completely understandable reasons. And I, I would hate to see you being taken advantage of by somebody with, you know, some kind of an agenda. I mean, look, I, I, I can recognize, uh, I can recognize uh, a needy soul from some distance. You know, I know who Bobby is. I mean, saying, something happened to this person. Something. Of, of all the identities that, that one could construct for oneself. He's gonna be this guy? I appreciate your concern, you guys, t telling me perhaps I'm being taken advantage of, but don't you want to believe, Bobby? Oh, to me, it's more important to try to get to the bottom of this thing than it is to hope that Bobby is telling the truth, you know, and that we're all gonna see a Polybius cabinet at the end of this, and, <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah, I hope things work out for the best for all of us, but I think it would be ridiculous to assume that that's going to happen. I'll grant Reuben this. Something must have triggered Bobby's unwavering devotion to telling fantastic stories that strained credibility. Otherwise, why would you go to all the trouble? I mean, quite frankly, if you dismiss it all as a lie, even an amorphous, ever-shifting one, such behavior still seems excessive. But that was all we were prepared to grant Reuben. Ultimately, we were worried about him and decided it was best if only Todd and myself traveled to Spokane to speak with Naomi again. She certainly wasn't comfortable seeing Bobby, and we figured we could share our findings with he and Reuben after we'd had a chance to suss out Naomi's tale for ourselves. 
I'm not a conspiracy person or a paranoid person. Um, you know, looking back, sometimes I, I still go back and forth, maybe, uh, you know, imagine it, but I, you know, I, I didn't. So let's back up for a moment. After receiving the cassette tape in the mail, Naomi brought it to the attention of a few others on staff, and everyone in the newsroom enjoyed a good laugh. Perhaps against her better judgment, Naomi wasn't as quick to write it off. She made a copy of the tape and took it home with her, in the naive hope that perhaps it held the key to the story that would finally define her career. When we first spoke with her, Naomi admitted to following up with Bobby's parents and the local police. But upon our second visit, she divulged the full extent of her search. Screw it, I'm gonna look into this on my own. So I just started going to all the arcades. No one really knew anything. I wasn't really finding anything. But then there had been that talk about Bobby. You know, looking back, I wasn't very uh, smart about it. I kind of was handing out my business card, had my phone number on it to everyone, all the arcade guys. It was only in hindsight that Naomi would realize just how much of a mistake this may have indeed been, given what happened to her next. I could have sworn that every time I came home, someone had been in my house. My dishes that had been out on the rack when I left drying would all be put away. Or another time I had come home and I had you know, opened up my medicine cabinet and all my things had been rearranged on the shelves. Naomi explained that she had been prepared to share this with us during our previous visit, had we asked, but that Bobby's attitude forced her guard up. We had to wonder if maybe she'd been the tiniest bit afraid of ridicule. After all, there was another answer for these strange goings-on that didn't involve intruders. Absent-mindedness, plain and simple. That, for me, was when I really started to get nervous, and that was right around when I talked to Bobby's parents. And though she felt something was amiss, Naomi remained silent. So I was constantly in the state of fear and also doubting my own self. Like, oh, someone's coming in and cleaning and organizing my things, so I should call the police. It just doesn't make sense. I, I couldn't tell anyone that. Naomi was often the last to leave the newsroom at night. She had something to prove and hoped her long hours wouldn't go unnoticed by her superiors. On this particular night, as she walked her bicycle out the front door, she noticed an unmarked van parked out front with its headlights on. I thought maybe oh, I was the cleaners. I didn't really think, I just noticed it. And as I turn around the bend, I see up ahead of me, on the other side of the road is this van with its lights on. But then as I'm biking past it, I realize it's the exact same van that was in front of the office when I left. And then all of a sudden, I remember distinctly, I see these headlights right in front of the bike, and I realize the van has flipped on a U-turn and is now following me. And I said, okay, I'm not gonna panic. And I kind of pull off to the side of the road. And that's 
when the van stopped about 20 feet behind me in the middle of the road with the lights on. You know when you get that feeling in your the pit of your stomach, you just know something's wrong. Something was wrong. Whoever was following Naomi was clearly out to intimidate her. She started pedaling again, hugging the side of the road right up against the woods so the van had plenty of room to pass her but it just crept along right behind her. And then right when the road was about to take another bend, I just jumped off this bike and I ran like crazy through the woods. Naomi says she hid there under cover of darkness and all the while in the distance, she could hear the sound of the van's engine idling. And then after what felt like an eternity, And then I eventually came out of the forest and Van was gone and my bike was gone. I didn't tell anyone about that van. Not even the police? No, definitely not the police. I just, I know this sounds crazy, but I just thought that no one would take me seriously and, and to say I'm paranoid. Which is a weird thing to say because a crime was committed. Forget about conspiracies, forget about the tape, Someone stole her bike. And maybe there's nothing more to it than that. I pressed her on this, and Naomi just felt like, at the end of the day, bicycle theft is pretty insignificant in the eyes of law enforcement. And she had her own doubts as well. Maybe the phantom in her house was nothing more than work-related stress, lack of sleep, and momentary absent-mindedness. It wasn't more than a week after the incident with the van that Naomi decided to perform an experiment. She left the copy she made of the cassette out on her coffee table before she went to work. That night, she came home late, as was usual. And the tape was gone. And that's when I knew, okay, I get the hint, I get the message you're sending, I'll stop. Even though her ordeal seemed to be over, there were no more unmarked vans or pangs of suspicion when she opened her medicine cabinet. Naomi never quite felt comfortable again. Every night when she left the office, a paralyzing anxiety gripped her as she scanned the parking lot, and her hand trembled without fail every time she slid her house key into the deadbolt. She remained at the Tribune for a few more months before deciding it was time to leave. She is now completing a book on hiking trails of the Pacific Northwest, and she has not ridden a bicycle since that night. It is perfectly natural for somebody to mistake, like, correlation and causation. That's Joe Streckert, who you may remember from earlier episodes, lecturing on Polybius. There's an off-sided story about a Portland teenager named Michael Lopez, who suffered a migraine in 1981 after playing the arcade game Tempest. It was one of the first reported instances of someone being potentially harmed after playing a video game. That was the first migraine headache that I ever had. Michael is quoted as having said, I've had them off and on my whole life, but it was freaky because I didn't know that this was happening at the time. So there we have a kid saying, because I was playing Tempest and I had a migraine, Tempest caused my migraine. Much more likely though, total coincidence. And I think that that little anecdote right there is eerie in how much it jibes with the Polybius story. Not only is an unmarked Tempest prototype one possible explanation for Polybius, 
Joe's story effectively illustrates the tendency of many we've spoken with to confuse causation for correlation. As in, I got a prank cassette in the mail, in the ensuing weeks I misplaced some personal items, and then some delinquents in a van stole my bike. Or, my partner left me and was subsequently spotted at a Polybius walking tour, so my partner's disappearance must somehow be connected to Polybius. It's easy for the mind to want to seek order in the chaos of everyday life. This, in large part, may be where the cultural obsession with conspiracies stems from. The admittedly compelling notion that there's an invisible web connecting disparate events. Hey, Bobby. How's it going? I'm on with Todd as well. Todd's here. Hey, Bobby, how's it going? Going okay. Todd and I decided not to tell Ruben or Bobby about our visit with Naomi. There were too many things that seemed speculative or impossible to corroborate. And there was something else that we hadn't told Bobby. Heard you were in town uh, doing some other interviews. Uh, well, I wasn't. I, Todd? Yeah, sorry. I, it's pretty busy here. I'll say what I said hello. Um, kind of quick in, quick out sort of thing. Todd had decided to appear as a guest on The Unexplained, the conspiracy-minded show Mitch Marcus was producing for the History Channel. It was shot over a two-day period in Portland, and Todd, along with several other people we'd interviewed, visited some familiar haunts. Bobby and his walking tour were not among them. I heard you're down at ground control. Like, you had a whole crew down there. Now this is turning into a television thing? Is that, is that what's going on? That wasn't our production. That was something that Todd was asked to participate in. So the podcast and the, that shoot are totally different. It, it wasn't. I'm just a little uh, disappointed things aren't quite what I thought you were making them out to be. Totally. That, that, I'm totally fair uh, of you to say. I apologize if, if you know, you're know you disappointed, but it's... Um... And, and then I heard you had Kat was involved, and Dylan got interviewed, and Art got interviewed. Bobby is referring to Catherine Despira, the journalist who first debunked the Polybius legend in the pages of Retrocade magazine, and Dylan Reef, a frequenter of Ground Control both of whom we interviewed for the podcast. It seems like basically everyone in your podcast, except for me. No, I, well, our, go, go ahead, John. Go, go ahead, Todd. Go ahead. No, for, for the record, they already knew about Kat, actually. They had read uh, her, her article and had gotten her name, and I was the one that, made, that introduced them, but you know whether I was there or not, they were going to reach out to her. And the shoot wasn't the only thing Bobby was upset about. Well, you know, it's just, uh, you know, Ruben and I talk sometimes. He told me that, you know, you guys warned him, be careful of me. What does that mean? Did you talk? Did you tell him that? Those are not the words we used first time. Exactly. It's, we, we wanted to make sure that Ruben, he should look out for himself. We, we didn't. Say anything nasty about it. How, how, wait, I, we, we've done nothing but help each other. I'm the one who brought Ruben to you into the project. You're, you're telling him not to trust me. You're going around doing other projects with people. You're, like, cutting me out of this whole fucking thing. And I don't know. I guess I was stupid for thinking you guys really wanted to understand this, the story. I, I don't know what you're pursuing. I, I mean, I'll put it to you this way. One of the things that I, I feel strongly about is that 
you know, through our association with you and, and with Ruben, this is sort of a unique way to to explore the Polybius legend. And I mean, I hope you can understand this. If this production company is asking us for our contacts, you know, we're going to be a little bit selective about who we put in touch because, you know, we feel like this is absolutely worth pursuing with you and Ruben, and we don't want to compromise the integrity of, you know, of our project. We felt like if we introduced you guys to this production company and and they interviewed you guys, that, that all of a sudden, you know, there's really nothing unique or interesting about the approach that we're taking with the project. So, again, I hope that sort of clarifies where we're coming from with this. Well, Not, well, this sucks, man. My whole thing is I'm trying to get the word out to as big of an audience as I can. I mean, what the fuck, man? That that could have been a great opportunity for me, and now you're just cutting me out of it. I'm just starting to question this whole dynamic or working with you guys at all. This just does not sound right to me at all. I don't like this. Though we tried to explain our intentions, Bobby wasn't having any of it, and that would be the last time we spoke to him for several weeks. Ruben, too, for one day not long after, he texted to let us know he was heading home, having run out of leads. It seemed like whatever journey we'd been on was coming to an end. Until one day... Todd received an urgent call from Ruben. He'd found his missing partner, Mark. The Polybius Conspiracy is a production of Showcase from PRX's Radiotopia. The series is produced by Todd Luoto and myself, and executive produced by Julie Shapiro. Original artwork for each episode is by Jin Lim. Music for this episode was composed by Rishikesh Hirway and Restricted. You can learn more about both of them and see bios for everyone we interview at radiotopia.fm slash showcase. I'm John Frechette. The mystery of Polybius continues next week.